case anybody couldn't guess, we're still working on Galatians. <laughs> I like Galatians. I don't care if it's short. It's got a lot of really good stuff in it. Ever since I read 220, it's been my favorite book because it has that verse in it. So we're actually still in chapter 5, like we have been all year. <laughs> chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lavishness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedations, heresies, envyings, murderers, drunkenness, revelings and such the like, of which I tell you before as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You might say, oh man, there's a whole lot more than that. Well, just about any sin you can pick can filter into one of these categories one way or another. Another thing you might notice is that there's no ranking system where he said, this is sin numero uno, and these ones are just kind of petty. And even another list, like in Revelation, he includes lying with these same things. Because sin is sin. Uh, a grave danger to the Christian are the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh can destroy the liberty we enjoy in Christ. We've talked about the liberty in a few lessons now. Galatians 5, 13 through 15 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, not only liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that they be not consumed one of another. The fact is that the things in our original verses that are listed prevent us from following the Spirit and doing the things that we wish. They're like roadblocks. You're trying to get across town to where you need to go, and for whatever the reason is, whether it be cop cars or a traffic jam or a flood, the road is blocked. You can't go that way. You're not going to make it through. And that's what these works of the flesh do, is you're striving to follow the Spirit. They create a roadblock. They get right across your path, and you can't get through. Because these things are contrary to the Spirit. They prevent us from following the Spirit and doing the things that we wish. In Galatians 5, 16 and 17, it says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so they cannot do the things that ye would. I used the example a few weeks ago of fire and ice. If you have a container full of fire and you dump ice in it, you're still only going to have one when you're done because the fire will consume the ice. If you have a container full of ice and you drop matches, lit matches in it, they're going to go out and you're still going to have ice. They don't mix. That's kind of how the lust and the spirit work out. If you're immersing yourself in one, it keeps the other one at bay. Because the two don't mix. One of them douses the other one. So if you're following these lusts of the flesh, they will keep you from inheriting the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.21, envying, murderers, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That such the like can pretty much be filled in with about anything, because what's one thing compared to another? They're equals. All sin is sin. So, in my mind, that's your such the like. Your sin of choice gets filled into that spot right there. So it's imperative that we know what 
the works of the flesh are. We're talking about those things that are contrary to the spirit. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, these are contrary the one to the other, so that they cannot, ye cannot do the things that ye would. Those sins which wage war against the soul. 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which were against the soul. In order to aid us in this battle, Paul provides a list of sins that are quite evident. And at the top of the list are sins of immoral purity. <coughs> One of the ones at the top of this list is fornication. The Greek word is pornia. Some translations begin with adultery, which is not found in some of the oldest manuscripts. It's certainly covered by fornication, though. It's like taking a subcategory and not covering the whole idea. It's a much broader idea when you take the word at the top of, uh, of the index. A pornea would be any type of illicit thing in that category. Not just one little section of it, but all of it. As used in the New Testament, we find it having at least four different applications. It references to doing things before you get married. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2. Now concerning those things, wherefore ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and every woman have her own husband. When Paul is writing there, he touches on a few things. His main point was more along the lines of, if you can don donate yourself to the Lord and never worry about getting married, that's really good, and that's awesome. But let's face it, we're human beings. Some of us are not that strong. So... Don't go doing anything in secret that's going to get you in trouble. If you can't dedicate yourself wholly, there's no sin in getting married. There's sin of what happens if you don't get married. Go get married. To your one person, not to like a dozen. Don't try them or return them to the store. Find that one that God made for you so that you can avoid fornication. It's used as a synonym for adultery. And synonym is like two words that might mean the same thing. Like, uh... If you say go, or if you say head that way, that's not a perfect idea because it's not just word and a word, but it's the same idea. Synonym would be two things that mean the same thing. In Matthew 19, 9, it says, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, committeth adultery. So you have a verse where he's using it for two people who aren't married, and a verse for people who gotten divorced and it wasn't because somebody cheated so now you have before marriage and you have cheating there's a generic term where this is translated in the bible referring to all forms of unchastity unchastity just means keeping yourself under control in context first Corinthians 6 13 says meats for the belly and the belly for meats but god shall destroy both it and them now the body is not for fornication but the lord but for the lord and the lord for the body this goes back to your priorities. Don't go running around destroying your body because your body is the temple of the Lord. Verse 18 tells you, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. So it's used as a generic term for the category in one section where it's being translated from the original Greek word. And then there's a specific sense referring to being a harlot or a prostitute. In Revelation 20, verses 20-21, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, 
because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to the idols. And I give her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. So in this verse, we have the fourth way that this Greek word is used in the New Testament. So it could be for not being married, it could be for cheating, it could be for just being out there selling yourself, and it can be for basically abusing the temple of the Lord. So it includes any sort of physical interaction between partners that's defined in the Bible as being between married partners. Except that in this case, you're not married partners. Anything that falls in that category can be used for this word that the Bible uses. And we know from Scripture that God has a disdain for such immorality. It's seen in the fact that there are seven lists of evil in Paul's writings, and fornication is in five of those seven lists. Probably a big deal to the Lord if he had Paul inspired to put it in five of those lists. It's listed in five of them, and it's the first in all five lists that it's in. Another one out of these lists that we're going to touch is uncleanliness. The Greek word akatharasa, which my uncle was here to help me not butcher these words. Somebody let him know. I need it. Akatharia is a moral sense, the impurity of lustful, luxurious, prolificate living. I don't really get that definition either, so we'll go a little deeper. It originally had reference to dirt or dirtiness in a physical sense. In the Greek Old Testament, it's used to denote ritual and ceremonial impurity, which made it impossible for the worshippers to approach God. There's several examples used in the Old Testament from when they translated from Hebrew to Greek. Leviticus 22, 3-9. Say unto them, Whosoever he be of all your seed among your generations that goeth unto the holy things which the Lord which the children of the Israel hallow unto the Lord, having his uncleanliness upon him, that soul shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. What man soever of the seed of Aaron is a leper, or having a running no or having a running issue, he shall not eat the holy things until he be clean. And whosoever toucheth anything that is unclean by the dead, or a man whose seed goeth from him, or whosoever toucheth any creeping thing, whereby he may be made unclean, or a man of whom he may take uncleanliness, whatsoever uncleanliness he hath. The soul which hath touched any such thing shall be unclean until even, and shall not eat of the holy things unless he wash his flesh with water. And when the sun is down, he shall be clean, and shall afterward eat of the holy things, because it is his food, that which dieth of itself, or is torn with beasts, he shall not eat to defile himself therewith. I am the Lord. They shall therefore keep mine ordinance, lest they bear sin for it, and die therefore, if they profane it. I, the Lord, will sanctify them. So, it means pretty much what you would think it means when you get past all the college and textbook ideas. If you really need a bath, you are unclean, physically. If you find an animal that was run over by a car, don't eat it. It's probably unclean. If you find food in the garbage, don't eat it. It's probably unclean. We can use very, very blunt, to-the-point, simple ideas here to illustrate the word unclean. But it's fun to throw around stuff I don't understand and sound smart for a minute first. So, uncleanliness. Well, 
it's easier to see with your body. If you're starting to smell and you've got a dirt stain, you're unclean. Well, what about your soul? Your soul can also be unclean. You can't see it with the naked eye, but it's the truth. It can be used in a moral sense at this point of that moral depravity which disgusts the person who sees it. Basically, the type of vision that we start to get the longer we're reading our Bibles trying to follow the Lord. That the very things that we were once okay with should disgust us in our very souls as time goes on. Three ideals are therefore inherent in the word. The quality of that which is soiled and dirty. Some minds can be that way. On a purity where there's a repulsive quality that awakens disgust in decent persons. Some actions can follow into that setup. And that which separates man from God in contrast. Compare Matthew 5, 8 with Revelation 3, 4. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew. Thou hast few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Revelation 3, 4, he's talking about how defiled they were before they were clean and sanctified. Being unclean doesn't have to be a dirt tan, it can be what's running through your mind all the time, it can be the way you act, the way you carry yourself, it can be the attitude you have when you don't like what you hear. There are many things that can be considered unclean that have nothing to do with your eyeballs or your nose. And those are the things we need to be the most careful about. If you need a bath really, really bad, the Lord's not going to shut you out of heaven. But if you're running around serving the devil at every turn, that might just ruin your eternity. The next one is lewdness, the Greek word asphalgia, also translated as lavishness, lasciviousness, and sensuality. The basic meaning of the word in the New Testament seems to be linked with uh, physical, marital, marital access in a public way. Barclay distinguishes three characteristics of this thing. There's a wanton and undisciplined action. Basically, you're just out there acting however, and you don't care who sees it. It has no respect for the person or person's rights uh, as far as anybody else who's around you. Not only do we have our own right to privacy for things we should keep private, but those around us have the right to not have to see things that need to be in private. It is completely indifferent to public opinion and to public decency. That means Bible or no Bible, even society has a certain set of standards. And those standards are there for a reason, because even the people who haven't filled that God-shaped hole has a part of them that knows some things are just not right. And that some things belong in secret and in private. The general idea is one of shameless behavior. Whether we take it to the subject that the scripture seems to or not, the idea of shameless behavior is something that we've all seen or experienced in one way or another in our lives. And so the concept of avoiding such a thing should be easy to pick up. There to find this word by giving these examples. When, you, when Thayer's uh, defining what we're talking about, they talk about filthy words. That could be swearing, or that could just be the, the concepts that come out of your mouth. Indecent body movements. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything with anybody. It could just be your body language and the way that you carry yourself, walk, talk, dance. These things can all very quickly filter into this category. Unchaste handling of the men or women around you. That's how Thayer's, which is one of the most renowned Bible dictionaries, would reference these types of things. I just like the idea of, we all know what decency is, we all know not only what society expects, but what the Lord expects of us, so we know how we ought to act. 
And this is the idea of stepping way outside of the bounds of how we ought to act in the presence of others. The word is the one that best describes, like with everything we do. What is often seen in much of modern dance, music, theater, television especially, I'm not that old, but TV when I was a kid compared to TV now, oh my goodness. My kids wonder why they're not allowed to watch a YouTube channel unless there's an adult sitting right next to them. They're not even just out there in your face with it. They sneak it in there so the kids get reprogrammed and don't even know it. Everything around us is geared this way. What goes on in many concerts, many talk shows, many public gatherings, and a lot of the things that we should be concerned about are even becoming acceptable to society. The context in which it's often found in the scripture helps to understand this word. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly in the day, and not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I get the sense he's not actually talking about a clock when he's talking about night and day, dark and light. He's talking about our level of moral decency. As we're crossing out of the night, as we're becoming Christians, as we're learning better moral standards, we're putting on Jesus Christ so we can walk away and act better. Ephesians 4, 17-19, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walked, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding... Their understanding darkened, being aligned from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling heaven, given themselves over unto lavishness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. I took our original concept and just flat said, you've given yourself over to that, so you're going to be unclean and greedy. 1 Peter 4, 1-4, For as much then... As Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the, in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh to lust of men, but to the will of God. Let's go back to that fire and ice. We're living one way or we're living the other way. With these three words, pornia, acarthersia, and aselgia, we learn that the works of the flesh involve sins of moral impurity. As we continue with Paul's list, uh, later today we're going to note that, that they also involve the sins of idolatry and sorcery, which play into the same kinds of category. But to start out with, before we ever get to the idea of idol worship, which is much easier and simpler to fall into than you think, or sorcery, which has been filtered into many harmless categories today, we see that it's all about how you walk, talk, and act. How do you talk to the elder men and women in your family or in your community? How do you talk when you're with your friends? How do you act when you're not in church? Do you say and do things in the break room or at your own house that you would never do in church or in front of your grandparents? That was the example I always got when I was a kid. Don't do that if you wouldn't do it in front of Grandma Poe. <laughs> because nobody who was uh, one of Grandma Poe's just sent us wanted to pick a switch. We knew that we needed to act right for Grandma. And this is a concept that should walk with us everywhere, whether you want to use your grammar or go a step further and say, would you really do that if Jesus was in the room? Because if there's a Christian in the room, I'm telling you, he's in the room too. Mm -hmm. 
So as we're going through our own walk of life, that's what we need to keep in mind. Are we fire or are we ice? Are we following the Lord or are we following the lust of the flesh? And to this evening, that'll double right over into idolatry and sorcery, the last half of our list we're working on. But we are going to stop the lesson for the moment and offer our invitation like we do whenever we're together. If you're a Christian, you're not immune to the invitation. We're still here. We still make mistakes. We still need our family. If you need to respond to the invitation, you need to do it. If you're not a Christian, better hope you don't die before you follow that invitation. Because if you either die in Christ or you die out of him, we all know that plan. We all know what that means. You're old enough to understand it. You respond and you become a Christian or you die in what you had. Either way, the choices are always yours and we're going to have the invitation as we all stand and sing.